Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Peter Katz. Peter is a manager and producer and CEO of the management slash production company Story Driven, where he supports the vision of writers and directors for film, TV, and emerging mediums. Most recently, he sold the short story I Am Not Alone by his client Chris Hicks to Netflix with Jessica Chastain starring. Peter, we're really excited to have you on and talk about your career today. How are you doing? And great. Thanks for having me on your show. I know we talked about it briefly before we started recording, but I always like to ask my first question, which is where are you in the world right now? I know it means a little bit less post-pandemic, and I want to guess that you're in LA, but keep me honest here. Where are you and you know, what are your thoughts on location these days for both yourself and writers? Correct. You get 10 points. I'm in, I'm in LA, but it really doesn't matter ultimately where you're at as long as you got a good internet connection. Because you could Zoom or you could, you know, there's no real limitations to the level of exposure you could have of your work or the types of collaborations you have. Because I think right now the world has gotten a lot smaller. Of course, it's easier if you're in one location versus another. And to some regards, you know, having to sit down with somebody. But outside of that, I mean, you could be anywhere. The next question is a bit of a complex one. It's a simple question, but obviously there's a lot to get into it. You're in LA now. I want to know, did you grow up there? Did you start there? How did you land there? And how did you get into being a manager and producer? Walk us through kind of that whole career trajectory. So I grew up in San Diego and my dad owned two bookstores to help out. I would, you know, organize. I would, I would just do anything that is necessary. And I got exposed to a a lot of, you know, incredible, you know, author and a nonfiction. I was an avid reader of everything, anything I get my hands on. I would start to uh, get into more genre. And while that was happening, you know, being exposed to so many great books, I was also in close proximity to a video store called Red Carpet Video. And the people there at the time would let me rent anything. So I was exposed to maybe movies that were maybe, you know, more, more edgy than I, you know, what I would expect to be able to rent if they had a different kind of operation like a blockbuster, but it was, they had a, their own kind of mom and pop operation. So I was constantly watching movies and uh, reading books. And I think that kind of sharpened my taste and what kind of material I want to work with in, in the world of film and TV and IP. Because I would keep like getting into you know anything that's you know horror movies or uh, or novels or crime, so I yeah, my appetite was starting to be developed at a very early age. And then as I got older, I uh, I got really into film with my brother uh, Evan, who's a filmmaker and a producer, and uh, he uh, he went to film school in full sale in Florida and he became uh, collaborators with Adam Wingard and uh, they were working together and um, you know Adam went on to do a bunch of studio movies and same with my, and my brother's gone off to do TV shows and movies too and our first project 
that they're working on was a, a really low budget slasher in Alabama called Homesick. And it was really like gory, crazy, weird movie. And we got influences from Toby Hooper and Takashi Miki. And that's where like you could see how weird it is. Crazy film. And I dropped out of high school to uh, work on that movie. And I, I, I did whatever it took, you know, cleaning up, you know, the set of all sorts of gore, clearing music rights, whatever I was needed on this very low budget film. And then I ended up working with them another one called Op School. So those were the the projects. So I never went to film school. I worked in indie films with my brother and Adam, and then continued after that to work on producing all sorts of projects. But ultimately, I got into being a manager too because I really love working with uh, all sorts of storytellers uh, who have different voices. So then I expanded kind of my capacity beyond just producing to developing, you know, new writers and directors. And I think that kind of was like the perfect place for me to occupy. And your company is story driven. Before we get into kind of your philosophy, which I would love to talk about, tell us about story driven. What is it? How did you start it? How is it different from other management production companies? I think that like, the way I look at it is, when I approach projects, I don't look at it like these are all these different buckets. Like this is a, you know, this is a short story or this is a podcast or this is a movie. I, I look at IP and I kind of see like everything on this, on the cross section of like genre and tone. So I think for me, I, I look at every way of approaching it with how you could take a story on its journey from concept to ultimately building it out and building a project. You know, and that could be certain writers that are also screenwriters and comic creators or screenwriters who do other things and kind of bridging film and television opportunities with the creation of this IP. And not all the clients do that. Some of them are very traditional screenwriters or directors, but I kind of like to be agnostic to medium and not being so plugged into what something is, but talk about where it could go on as the project builds out, as you bring in new partners and attach actors or directors and kind of look at it in that capacity is that what really gets me excited is like a really big concept typically in the world of genre and then also you know some comedies too i'm also really into comedy so those are the areas that get me uh, inspired to go out and develop projects and sign clients so i think that like what's distinctive is maybe looking at storytelling across mediums versus looking at it in a very linear fashion Let's get into your philosophy on creating IP. You briefly touched upon it in your description of the company itself. But how do you even approach which creators you're working with, authors, writers, directors? How do you find them? What's the initial kind of thought process for who you decide to work with? So the first thing that I look at is like, is really about you know, my personal taste, because there are people out there that are just brilliant, you know, filmmakers, who I could recognize their talent, but it doesn't mean that it aligns with taste. So I think as you know, you look at managers and agents, you know, or producers, is that they really need to get inspired, you know, from work, and it needs to move them emotionally. So that's how I connect to it. It's not just, well, do the math, this plus this equals, you know, success. It's more of like, I really love like the director Takeshi Kitano, or I really love this, you know, screenwriter because it, it reminds me of Shane Black, or I like, you know, you have your own taste. So first off, I need to be like really wowed, just a you know, on a on an emotional level where I'm like, oh, I'm feeling something outside of the ordinary. It takes me out of the day to day, you know, grind that we all live in that we're just so used to these routines. And I think 
great art helps you transcend that if you connect with it on a real emotional level. And that is one big component. The other part of it is, do they think on a conceptual level uh, that not in a high concept, because I don't think all projects that I'm attracted to are high concept. I think they approach you and go, why should I be interested? There's something about it, uh, you know, maybe, you know, some way of the idea or the direction of how it's, the experience is realized, but there needs to be something there with a way of thinking. And I think that's kind of like you talk about voice and way of thinking and that kind of alliance. So it's kind of the emotional reaction you get from it. It's surprising. It's interesting um, that it approaches you beyond the pragmatism of it all. You're not thinking about the business immediately. And then um, are the concepts, are there something about the concepts or the approach? It's not even just an idea. Sometimes just the approach is so uniquely specific to a person. So that's kind of how I look at the what gets me into uh, wanting to, to work with somebody. Now, how do I find somebody? There's a multitude of ways. I get source clients through my network, my clients, friends, producers, executives, agents. So there's a whole network of people that could source clients. And also, I kind of look at uh, creators at all across the board where I could just start exploring their work, you know, whether or not it's a script program like Coverfly that have relationships to other screenwriter programs and they kind of know my sensibility so they could help recommend things or I could look at their list there. If it's short stories, I could look at anthologies or I could look at comics. So it's all across the board where um, I get the influx of potential collaborators. For those writers, obviously, this is a writing podcast. They're listening to a manager talk about how to break in, get their IP or their writing scene. Is it antiquated to send a query letter, that whole, you know, the formal process of someone reaching out to you and saying, hey, listen, this is who I am. This is my work. Is that still a valid route for writers to reach out to managers like yourself? Absolutely. I've signed multiple clients through a, getting a direct contact beyond contests or anything like that a writer reaching out to me and there's something about that email that gets my attention. And uh, I think it's a totally viable approach. You mentioned getting your attention. Could you dive deeper into what that means for those writers who are like, what do I do to grab that attention? I know there's no one answer to it, but is there something you'd suggest that they can use to separate themselves? I think the problem is sometimes the emails are too long and there's so much spin on them that it detracts from really what their goals are as a writer. So I think that less is more. And to validate that is if I look at my phone scrolling, is that the, the body of the email could it fit on the screen of my iPhone where I know exactly what's going on. Uh, I know the log line. I know some you know, signals of credibility. Maybe they've placed high at a big contest or uh, they've been recognized in some, you know, by the press uh, as an IP creator, if that's what they are, if they're a director, what festivals they've uh, been part of. It has everything in, in one place. So I could just click the email. I get all the information. I think sometimes reps get just inundated with emails all across the board. And I think the way to stand out is if there's more white space on like less, you know, text, which just gives them a quick impression of what this person is about. And then the other thing is that it's personalized. You know, 
a quick turnoff as it feels like it's like copy and pasted a bunch of times and your name's not even on there. So if they can't put my name on there, then obviously it feels like it's spam. So I think a good way of saying it is saying like you start off, hey, you know, fill in the blanks manager. I really respect this client that you work in, fill in the blanks, genre, whatever. Um, I think you might be interested in the script. Here's my log line. And then lastly, here's some credibility signals about what I'm about. Now, that credibility signals doesn't need to be 10 paragraphs. It could just be what is the most important thing you need to know about me. Now, if you don't have anything, you could just say, hey, you know, I'm a writer that loves grounded sci-fi. And that's what I like to work in just for you to know. So you just, so that's it. It doesn't even need to be, hey, I, you know, won all these awards. It could just be a simple kind of set of uh, a directive of what you're looking to do. And so then as a rep, you could look at that and go, all right, I got a sense of what this person's about. Is there something about the ingredients of what I got in this email, the elements? Are they compelling enough to want to pursue? And if not, it's no hard feelings. You know, they might just have too many clients or they may not be looking at people at this level. But if you do the research and really are thoughtful, you have a higher conversion rate than if it's just a giant shotgun blast. When you do get one of those emails or maybe find someone on the internet or through your network and you find a piece of work or a director or creator or writer that you're like, I want to get behind this person. There's an idea here or there's a career here that I want to you know, support and get it to the next level. What's your approach from day one? What are those initial days look like when you're like, hey, let's work together and let's see where this goes? What are your first initial thoughts going through your mind? First off, I um, want to know who the fans are, who, uh, who's in collaborated with this person. I have a list of all their work. I want to create log lines to it if there isn't like log lines that are really thought out and really prioritize the projects that I want to take to market and also use as uh, samples to start getting generals. So basically, I index all the work, have a history of where it's been. If the person's previously had another rep, I want to know where that work has gone, how it's been received, to just kind of completely get a sense of everything that's happened with that material. And then in addition, I want to know what their goals are. Do they want to stay in this space? Or do they want to also direct if they've only been a writer? So make sure I know exactly that their goals are aligned. And this alignment, when you first start working with somebody, may change over time. And that's why it takes a lot of communication to make sure that as their you know, mission statement evolves, you're always kind of making sure you're there for them and their new needs. That's what it requires. So as much as you're onboarding now, knowing what they're up to and what, they, what they've done, you're also continuously working with them as they may change their priorities, what genre, which medium, which role they have in the process, and keeping the dialogue going. So that dialogue never stops. And when you look at a work as an IP, walk us through the difference maybe between something you feel is, this is IP ready. This is a work that you know can be adapted directly into a film or versus you know the stuff that needs a little work there. You know, walk us through in your mind what's ready and if not, what the journey is to kind of trying to get it to that point. I think there's two parts of it. And I think that like IP or scripts or pilots will be similar is like, where's the concept? Why would anyone care about it? And that goes back to it doesn't necessarily mean high concept. 
could be a character study, but why would somebody care? Like, what is it about this? Like, what is the way in the world, the setting? So what is the idea? And does this IP, uh, speaking of this IP, how does that service the concept? Like, where are we at with the concept? Because the concept gets you through the door, but once they go through the door, they're interested and you completely deviate from what an audience would want. That's um, that may not be as compelling. So if it's not there, the goal is to look at that big idea, and then figure out how do you align the experience with that. Like, is there certain things you need to punctuate or expand on, or is there certain things you need to reduce? But the goal is that whether or not it's let's it's a short story that really feels like it could be totally realized as a movie. You could see the experience in it, or a podcast. You could feel how the TV show could work. How the unique qualities are there. The engine that would drive it for multiple seasons are present. So I think there are certain things that uh, there are certain types of IP where you're almost building out real components of the story that will be valuable to producers and ultimately a studio or you know a network. Whoever's going to be working on this, whoever are the the stakeholders on this project, could see realize. Now, some types of IP are not necessarily about having every part of the story realized they're about the pre-awareness so you might be getting something that people know but then you have to really if you're adapting you have to really work out what that's going to be because there's no roadmap but thinking about if it's the type of ip that really showcases the potential of adaptation then you really want to make sure people are thinking when they saw that idea or the logline whatever it is what got them excited and then how do we keep delivering continuously throughout the experience of consuming it, whether or not, whatever form it is. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. Before the interview, you had mentioned some platforms, ways that writers can get their works out there, whether it's before they meet you or whether they're working with you. I think you mentioned Reddit and some others. What are some platforms you suggest? I assume they're by medium. But what are some that you suggest for those who are out there thinking, where do I put this? How do I get this out there? And what are the ones that you utilize to take something that's maybe already 
out there, but you know, to get it to the next level. I think that there's a lot of platforms out there and in a lot of ways that it's doing your reps. Like, you know, if you create content for like TikTok or podcast, is looking at it as a uh, a way to harness an audience and it may start small and build out. So it could be, you know, Reddit, you put a short story or Wattpad or you drop a video somewhere, but it's not looking at anything as the end all. It's just kind of working out your voice and kind of establishing it. But sometimes I feel there's a pressure that the first thing is the end all, but all these different forms just take a continuous effort. But the positive thing is if you are creating IP, you're building a brand. And even if it starts small, you're being like read by, by people you know, on a larger audience and scale than most screenwriters have. A lot of scripts will go out, they might get optioned, but they don't get seen by everybody. You know, of course, there's different lists, like the blacklist and stuff like that. But, you know, if you're on TikTok, you may create some, you know, short film on there that gets exposure in a way that could potentially be larger than a lot of traditional distribution. You know, so I think that really understanding these different platforms, you know, depending on what type of medium you have, you could just keep working on the way you tell stories. So if it's on like, let's say Reddit on no sleep, you're doing horror short stories, you could keep building your strengths because you're learning how the audience responds. And that's another advantage to a lot of this IP creation is that you get a sense of who's engaging with your work, you know, what's their feedback. And I think, you know, when people look at like, you know, streamers like Netflix, you don't get that much analytics. So in some ways, if you're creating content online, you can be learning more than if you don't. So in some ways, by you building out this audience, you're going to be exposed to a lot of opinions. And some of them are wrong, but at least you're feeling there's a back and forth dialogue with yourself as a storyteller. You just talked about the platforms and you know, using TikTok as an example. You could write something, put it up on TikTok. It could go viral, so to speak, and get tons of numbers. But to you, how important are the numbers? Let's say there's a writer who has a masterpiece sitting on their website, but they're not promoting it, and you read it. Does that matter to you that maybe it doesn't have the same attention or numbers or you know hype around it, as opposed to maybe something that is a little more conceptual and with a little less heart, but maybe has more numbers? I could speak to like the numbers. So like to me, the strength of the writing and the quality of the concepts because what I'm looking at is can I, when I think about any sort of client is, can I take their work to market beyond my own personal taste? I want to make sure that, that it's viable, you know, that there will be producers, executives, or financiers. Somebody's going to want to really like align with the material. And the level of exposure of how popular it is, obviously, is one signal. But you need multiple signals to be able to make decisions. So if I could just look at somebody who's never really released their work, but I think it's incredible, I'm going to want to get behind it because it could be viable if I take it out to networks. I wouldn't be, in a sense, chasing views or reads. I'd be really true to yourself and really identify what kind of stories you want to tell. And if it builds an audience, that's great. But I wouldn't worry if it's like starting small and then it builds out. Because if you think about it, a lot of really incredible you know, stories are maybe not always the most popular ones, but there's something about the way you 
talk about your life experiences or the concept or your approach to the genre that's really exciting and unique. So in some ways, it's maybe not like, hey, I need a million fans. You may just need the right fans, you know, and that could just be a work that's barely circulated, but there's something to it. But not to say, like, if somebody has both, that's going to win if there's a competition of who I'm going to want to, like, take on as a client if everything else is equal. You also mentioned when we were first talking about the option for writers to license their own IPs. What does that look like? How do they do that? Is it expensive? How does one go about even approaching that? And is it a valid, you know, equal and valid option as opposed to just writing your own creative idea? I don't think it's one or the other. I think that you, as a writer, need to be emotionally moved by the IP, like whether or not you're getting the rights to a play that you want to adapt into a, into a film. You know, you have to be so excited by it that it makes sense. So I think it's case by case. I don't think there's like, oh, here's just the purely the unique advantage to doing it. The work itself needs to really speak to you. And then when it does, you know, if you're um, an inexperienced writer who's getting a piece of IP, then, you know, when you think about the, what your relationship to it is, you may not have the ability to get the financing to develop it. So you may have to like get the rights and then write the adaptation on spec, but have the, an option on it. So then when you have, take it out, you have the script and the play or whatever it is. So I think that there's a certain level of expectations that you have is that like you want to make sure that when you lock in those rights, there is also a path which you want to do. Now, if you're a more established writer, you might just have the rights to some great piece of material and then you could just take it in and get financing to uh, develop. So it depends on where you're starting at in your career. But I think it's about finding the stories that connect with you. And um, there's some value, whether or not it's an article or something that could you know, help you also articulate the concept. So in some ways, that's the other benefit is if you find something you really like, and that's where you start at. Then the second thing is, does the work help you pitch the material? Is it, if someone reads the play or hears about it, is there some value there? Um, did it get, the way I look at it, it is multiple factors. Like there's prestige. Was it covered by like the New Yorker? You know, so there was a pre-awareness. Was it a big audience? So it's like some prestige or a big audience. Or was it like, does it just build out a lot of the world and how the story plays out that you could pull from? So those are certain factors that play into when you kind of make a decision about, does this help you sell the project? Let's say instead of a writer, an aspiring producer finds mm -hmm. an idea like that, licenses it, but doesn't know what to do with it, doesn't know how to do the things that you're talking about. Is that something they could bring to you and you kind of help fill in the gaps? to get it from, okay, let's say this article in the New Yorker to maybe a script they're working on. Do you work directly with them to kind of flesh out that script and get it to the next place and kind of coach them to do it? Or would they kind of have to do that themselves? Well, I don't think any of these producers who get the rights to really great material have to do anything themselves if they don't want to. If it's that interesting, then they could also work with bigger producers who already have deals that, you know, not now, of course, during the strike, but like when the strikes are over, then, you know, this producer could bring material in to a bigger producer and then they could kind of become like a platform for them and help them develop the material or get financing for development. So I think if someone's a new producer and they've 
done the hard work of identifying, you know, a piece of material that's special, there are openings with most likely a producer whose brand aligns with the type of project you're trying to take out. For those writers and directors who, outside of the licensing or picking up another person's IP, a writer with an original script or novel short story that starts working with you, can you walk us through what the day-to-day working relationship is between a writer, director, and yourself? How often are you talking? What do the edit notes look like when they send you a script? What does that collaboration look like? I think that uh, I try to talk to my clients as much as possible just to keep a dialogue to see how development's going. So I kind of have a grid where I'm like, all right, these are all the projects being worked on. So I I set a schedule where I just want to see how it's building out. So that's one part of the equation. And then then there's projects that already have, you know, let's say if they have a producer on board, it's keeping up to date with all the different projects. So whether or not it's a novel with a big producer or a script or a pilot, whatever types of material it is, is this also getting updated on the portfolio of projects that have movement on them. So that my clients are always up to date of if there's any changes, if you know something moves forward and gets momentum as they know. So it's a combination of tracking their current development, tracking the projects that are already moving, and then just general market of like people they should get to know, you know, have meetings with. So that's kind of like the typical back and forth that I have with them. So it's on a semi-regular basis where I'm making sure that I'm tracking all these different changes in their work. And then once that's ready, also creating a, like, let's say, for instance, if I'm going out with a script, say if there's a director attached, we have everything ready to go, is building a list of potential producers and then having that list available to the client so they could track it and see how the work's going out, how it's being received. So that's a type of dynamic of how work is being exposed. And then, you know, what the responses we're getting and just kind of iterating as we get new data. You mentioned agents. What is your relationship with agents? How does that dynamic work? I know a lot of folks can sometimes misconstrue what a manager does, what an agent does. I know those lines have blurred a lot over the past, you know, decade or few. From your perspective, what does that look like when you approach agents or you work with an agent to get something out there? Yeah, I think that. Just like every manager is unique, um, every agent is, and they all have their own styles of working, and some have different strengths, you know, you know, and different focus, what things that they get interested in. And I work with various agents, and I have great relationships with them. It's nice to work with people that have uh, aligned a mission of what they want to accomplish. Now, since agents, managers, there's some distinction. A lot of it, you know. When you look at the type of agent and their relationship to the client, it could be more hands-on, more developmental, more involved in the day-to-day. Or it could be like, you know, an agent can say, hey, Peter, can you really focus on some piece of material and put it in, get it in great shape? Or can you, whatever process, can you kind of get it through? But once you feel very confident about it, let me know. And then there's other agents that want to be in the mix during the development. So I don't know if there's like, one template for them is it's just their unique way they want to work and also the dynamics between that client and them. So um, I, I do have all versions of it. And what's the end goal when you work with a writer, a director, a creator? What is the five, 10-year plan? 
what do you set out to do? What are your goals for your writers? I think the goals are are dictated by the the client. Like what do they what do they want? You know, if they want to do experimental films, then winning is experimental films, just getting more support and getting more coverage, you know, for creating these separate movies. If somebody says, Hey, I want to do a studio film, that's another thing. But also being malleable with it and adapting to what their current needs are, you know, it, it, whatever way they approach their business and their art, you know, may not be the same when you start working with them. It could be dramatically different years later and they want to direct if they start off as a writer. And then you want, at that point want to start showing support to help building out directing opportunities for them. Peter, what's your end goal? What do you look to accomplish? Are there milestones that you're looking to accomplish that you haven't hit yet? Walk us through kind of what you, when you look ahead of what you want to accomplish, what that looks like. I just want to keep on being curious and learning about new modes of expression and new creators that can be around the world. Uh, you know, like I'm open to anything that's out there. So I guess my goal is, is that intense curiosity you know, and really discovering voices that, that excite me, but also looking at my current clients and really seeing really compelling work that they start building out, you know, in all forms. So yeah, I think it's, it's just keeping that uh, passion and also being open to innovating in ways that I wouldn't have done last year, you know, that maybe, you know, in a few months will be revealed, you know, that, that I look forward to showcasing. So it's basically constantly finding ways to um, expand my community of creators and also figure out ways to uh, tell stories that I think are going to be really, you know, special for not only the industry, but just the readers or the fans or, you know, it's like, it's not looking at it just as a transactional thing, like, okay, I sold this thing, but go, is there, is there a way to build culture? around things that matter to you. I love that. Peter, are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? Shoot. The first one, I asked you a lot of questions about your philosophy, but it's your philosophy. Is there anything that I didn't touch upon that you walked into this interview today saying, you know what, I really want to cover this that I haven't asked you? I love the questions. So there wasn't anything like, oh my God, I didn't get this. But I think what I want to put out there is that creating that uh, group of friends that are creating things and putting them out there is that I do feel that there's just ways to do things where even if it was just like worst case scenario, you made a video, only 100 people watched it. That's 100 people that now watch the video. That's actually something. So I think that like not just looking for like these giant milestones, but giving yourself opportunities to create things because you don't need to have a hundred million views for it to be a success. And a lot of the things that have picked up may not even been seen by a lot of people. So it's just have, maybe looking at it more about creating ways to generate and build community. I think that's really important, especially now with everything being so crazy. I think it's important to find ways to like consistently be generating and putting work out there, not just work obviously into the system, but if you have the ability to create like an email newsletter and you write stories, create an email newsletter. You know, I think making sure it's not just everything's into the industry because the industry is completely unpredictable. But if you as a um, artist are like, all right, cool. I got my email newsletter. got my friends from college. They're on it. They're reading my work. That's a great start. 
that's actually a big deal to get yourself to the point of doing that. So I think not looking at things in such a binary way is important because it's very easy to get caught up in like that headline or that story. But I think it's just important to be creative and uh, get your work out there, even if it starts small, because if it starts small, I could always build out. I love that. The next bonus question, if you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? Hmm. I love the Canes. Uh, that's the greatest chicken. I would take Stephen King to, uh, to enjoy some chicken fingers with me. If you could have produced any film or TV show of all time, what's the one thing? If you could take a you know DeLorean back in time, what would you produce? I would say that like, I mean, the people are geniuses on it, but obviously, I would just say like, I love Barry, so like, I would I would be happy to be like honestly a production assistant on that shoot and just help out like that don't you don't even need a producer credit like i love barry or dave or atlanta so there's like shows that I like so i would literally like do whatever it is to be there and just watch these geniuses at work you're obviously insanely passionate about what you do you care about your clients in the morning when you wake up what excites you every day what keeps you going what are the things that make you think oh this is why i do what i do this is how i'm going to start my day what goes through your mind and what keeps you motivated as much as i um hate the thing when people say when they go i know when i see it like and when i meet somebody i'm like what do you want like and they say i know when i see it i actually think it's kind of true um even though it's kind of lame because it's such a cliche but it's kind of like when you read something that you had never expected to read or you watch a movie you never expected to watch. It's like that sense of like, oh, they got it. Now, it may have certain elements that you're familiar with, but the idea that you could always be surprised gets me excited to do my work and come out there and like get work out there and promote you know, creators that I really respect or find new people is that when, you're, when you get out of that, oh, yeah, I, I know everything. As soon as you get out of that mindset and go, I, I'm open to being surprised, is where I love to occupy. And the last question, if you had to choose one piece of advice or learning from your entire career to pass along to the writers who are listening, what's the one piece of advice that you would give? I think sometimes things are challenging and you know and you just you're like where where is this going and you you, you take something as far as it's going to be. I think it's very easy to fixate on it and be like, "Oh my god, you know, what's happening with it?" What I've learned my own experiences is you take something as far as possible and then move on to a new thing. And then the new thing is going to create opportunities to make new friendships, you know, get those relationships for a new collaboration or it's a new piece of material. So you could be seen in a different way. But the things that I've seen, at least for me as a manager and a producer that has been successful, and I think it applies to a lot of different kind of roles in this ecosystem is making sure that you don't fixate on the things uh, that you've done you you go well that's that's over move on to the next one as you iterate the things that you move on from may start picking up steam and now you could regain focus but i think the key is is making sure you're always adapting and moving on to the next thing once you, it's as far as it could go you, you i don't mean like half step all right like throw it away i'm saying like all right you're waiting on a bunch of people i think instead of waiting on you know anybody Focus on the next thing. Focus on a new community that you could tap into or you could build 
So you're constantly always iterating. I mean, and I know you have like, you know, anyone can have certain life, you know, stuff that comes up that's, that pulls them from that. But I'm saying with the bandwidth that's available, I feel it's always important to know when it's too far, when you're like, okay, it's out there or things are there or you've done so much just so you could keep a portfolio of projects moving. And you're not, because the danger is sometimes I see somebody like, oh, I've been working on something for 10 years. I'm like, well, that's cool. That's great. But like all you're doing is like moving like in one direction, moving in another direction, but the changes are no longer like meaningful. Then I think at that point, it's like, okay, well, that work articulates your voice and what you do, but now let's build another thing. So I think it's not being so precious. It's being able to let go to keep building. But as you build, your taste gets more and more refined. You start being able to really zone in on what's important as a creator. And I think that helps a lot. So I think that's the thing is, is making sure to know when it's when you can let go and then you can focus on the new thing and just be able to cycle through that in a disciplined way, I think has been helpful for me. Love that. The last, very last question, Peter, did you have fun today talking? I know these interviews go by so quick. It's like 30 to an hour to just basically cover life and your career and everything. But did you enjoy what we were able to tap into? I really enjoyed it. I felt like I was in a like a, hanging out at a diner or something like that, just sitting down with you talking. It felt very natural. It was a, it did go by quickly, and uh, I appreciated being on the show. It was good times. Awesome. Well, open invite, as we can never truly discuss everything in one session. So we'll have to have you back on soon. Peter, is there anything else you want to plug? Social media, anything that you know can point to you or your clients, or anything you want to highlight? Well, yeah, you could just. If you want any more information about me, you can go to story-driven.com. You know, it has details about what I'm doing and, you know, who I'm working with and all that kind of stuff. So it's a good place to get all the info. And then if anyone, you know, has something that's really exciting, you know, I'm open to anyone who's interested. But as long as it's, you know, like I said, it's like a short email, you know, and just kind of gives a breakdown of what they're doing. I'm open to that. Now, there's no guarantees. I'm obviously I have unlimited bandwidth to take on everything, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the door is open as long as, and if something really gets my attention, I will engage on it. But it's just dependent on if something that really fits what my sensibilities are. But if not, it's all good either way, you know. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Excited for this episode to release. I think there's so many gems, and we really appreciate your wisdom. It means a lot. So. Thank you again, Peter, for your insights and your time. It was an absolute honor. Well, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.